Good day, friends around the world. It's good to have you back here today. If you happen to be watching the show for the first time, we very much welcome you to the show. If you're a Mortal Kombat fan, you've come to the right place, as we have all kinds of content on the channel. Make sure to check everything else we have available after the episode. Would be very helpful if you could let your friends know about us, as we can expand our community. Mortal Kombat Legacy the web series that flourished with success, had some pretty energetic and strong fights. There's a lot of moving parts behind the scenes when it comes to getting these fight scenes to look good on screen. The man behind many of these sequences, who helped create and choreograph them, is Larnell Stovall. Larnell and director Kevin Tancherowen were the perfect pairing for the Mortal Kombat franchise, as the series hit records worldwide at the time. Legacy was a very ambitious project, uh, and with that came some concepts that didn't even get to see the light of day. I'm extremely eager to dive into what could have been and all the fun stories of what went on during the filming of the show. Larnell has proven to be victorious in his career, from acting to choreographing to even directing. You can catch some of Larnell's recent work on DC's Titans, which is currently streaming on HBO Max. Larnell is the stunt coordinator for this show, and he has even been fortunate enough to direct a number of episodes. But with that introduction said and done, let's switch over to the interview. All right, combatants, here we are, accompanied by Larnell Stovall. I'm a huge fan of the fight scenes in the Legacy series, and it's been so nice to see how much you've expanded in your career. Uh, it's an honor to have you on today. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. To kick off today's interview, as we know, you've been involved in stunts and choreography for many years now. Uh, where okay. was it that your journey really began to take off in regards to the martial arts aspect. What type of experience do you have in this field, Arnel? Uh, martial arts, I uh, started martial arts when I was around 12 years old. I uh, started in karate, uh, Shotokan specifically. Uh, from there, I, I stuck with it, uh, traveled the U.S. in different tournaments. Um, and then from there, I decided to see if I could take this karate thing on the road after I saw a movie named Blade. And uh, Blade, Blade inspired me to want to try to take it to the next level, which was uh, get to Hollywood, uh, leaving New Orleans, Louisiana behind. And I think uh, the year 2000 and I uh, haven't looked back since. Wow, man. Uh, it's a known fact that you're really into video games. Uh, what are some gaming titles you enjoy in general? And do you have a favorite Mortal Kombat game? Mm, that's a tough one right there. Um, man, it, it, it's so funny because recently um, my wife just brought me this um, arcade machine that has like over 5,000 games. It's ridiculous. And there's so many older Mortal Kombats on there. Now, of course, I'm a, I'm a fan of the last one, which hopefully I'm not saying it wrong, which was uh, MK12, right? The MK11. Uh, MK11. Okay, got it. So I, I love that one. And I, look, the downloads, you know, I get it. You know, when you start adding Rambo and you start adding Predator and 
uh, Terminator. You know, those are cool. You know, uh, what was that? Leatherface. And, yeah. You know, so, of course, you know, I enjoyed those, too. But for some reason, man, was it Mortal Kombat 3 that initiated the run button? Yeah. For some reason, <laughs> that's still one of my favorites. And with this new arcade machine that I have, I started rediscovering the love for that as well. Plus, the graphics still hold. They do. You know? So, you know, that's still one of my top ones. And, you know, so. But, yeah, I would say 10 and 11 are still up there for me as well because I love the progression. Uh, but, yeah, something about 3 still pops up for me. Just that nostalgia you know, because, uh, yeah, it just feels good to, to rediscover that again. <laughs> uh, that's pretty dope, man. So who were some of your favorite combatants? Uh, I hate to sound like a cheese ball or new with this, but I'm still a Scorpion fan, man. Hey. I don't, sp- I don't spam him. I don't spam him, but uh, I would say Scorpion, uh, Cabal, and um, when I have the patience to keep remembering how to change them up, Shang Tsung. Very, very good. Um, What age were you... uh, When did you start, uh, shall I say, start playing Mortal Kombat? Uh, Mortal Kombat... uh, Mortal Kombat was always... I'm going to say arcade. This was probably 14 years old, maybe. Oh, nice. Maybe maybe 14, being in an arcade and... You know, wasted uh, a lot of quarters <laughs> went into that baby, you know, because you got to remember back then, you know, there were no cheat codes. There was nobody to walk you through how to play the game. So, and what did we always do? We always put in Street Fighter codes, thinking if I do a half round, something's going to happen. If I do a half full round, a fireball is going to come out. So you, you try moving in like a Street Fighter game, at least I did. Yeah. And that wasn't the case. It was sometimes simple as a tap, tap forward or tap, tap back. And so I started paying attention to guys playing the game. And I would simply watch what they do with the joystick. You know, whether it was uh, down and forward for sub-zeros, uh, ice blast or uh, back, back, forward, you know, for certain people's movement. So that's how I learned, you know, and a bunch of quarters later, fell in love with it, much less... You know, the ultimate was trying to get that fatality in, and you only had, what was it, seven seconds? Five five to seven seconds maximum? Yeah, tight window, but you felt so accomplished when you pulled it off. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Uh, so you became fortunate enough to join Stunt Team 8711 Action Design. Inform us how you became a part of it and some of the proud achievements therein. Well, uh, 8711 uh, is family, it's home. Um, the process was interesting. Um, I was part of the training group for, I would say, oof, maybe two years before I was asked to join. And it was just a group of martial artists that would get together multiple times a week, sometimes on weekends as well. And you either beat the crap out of each other, you learn in choreography, both, you're doing weapons, um, you're breaking down different versions of fight scenes so you can grow, learn how they were filmed, learn how to find your voice as a choreographer. Um, we were fortunate enough, and he's still teaching to this day, uh, Chaz Tahowski, the uh, director of the John Wick series. Um, you know, grateful for that because he just loves teaching. 
You know, he always gave back. He still gives back, you know, whether it's two people on the floor, whether it's 30 people on the floor, he teaches just the same. Uh, but yeah, after two years, uh, two and a half years, somewhere in the range, I was asked to join. And then from there, it was basically don't screw it up and represent well. And the rest was history, you know, where you get out there, you make a name for yourself with different projects. Um, and you test yourself across the world because sometimes it might be you by yourself in a place like uh, Romania or Bulgaria and you're representing a brand and you work with the locals, but you try to make sure the quality is up to speed regardless who you're working with. So that's always the challenge sometimes because you can have your favorites on how they perform and how they move. But if none of your favorites are there working with you, you got to make sure the locals look just as good. And, uh, you know, the brand, you know, always represents to the best of its ability, no matter where we are. I hear you, man. Very good. Now, let's talk about the inception of uh, Mortal Kombat Rebirth, uh, which sort of stood <clears throat> as the precursor to Legacy. You've been in this yes. thing since the very beginning. So why not mm -hmm. elaborate on where you met up with Kevin uh, Tancharoan and how Rebirth came to fruition? Okay, well, what's funny is a good buddy of mine, <clears throat> and this is uh, <clears throat> kind of an interesting six degrees of separation, a good buddy of mine, J.J. Uh, Perry, uh, <laughs> passed my information on, and if any old-school Mortal Kombat fans remember, J.J. Perry, if I'm correct, was Sub-Zero. Yeah, uh, Conquest. Combat Conquest, which I was a fan. I wasn't in the industry yet at that time, and that was definitely part of my motivation when each week I will watch these episodes and see people I used to compete with on the NASCAR tournament circuit as a guest for Mortal Kombat, whether it was guys like Arnold Chun or guys like John Valera or <clears throat> finding out Mike Chatteratabut was doubling the lead of the show at times. So I kept seeing all these names of people I would see at competitions. And I was so curious, you know, how to get in stunts, how to get involved. Because everybody wanted to be on Conquest at that point. Because it was, it was a who's who of martial artists each week. And uh, crazy enough, me and Daniel Bernhardt are great friends. And oh. I, I, I've been uh, blessed to be able to hire Daniel Bernhardt a few times as an action actor on some series. And he's always came through. But yeah, um, Kevin, we met after JJ recommended me because I think Kevin reached out to JJ and think JJ was busy on a film. And he was like, yeah, I hit Larnell up. He's into all this stuff, knows about all this, these different things with video games, characters, comic books and stuff. So uh, we met at a Starbucks and what I'll never forget was a, a Starbucks in um, North Hollywood. Um, we sat down and he started talking about the lore of Mortal Kombat and what he wanted to do and then he pulled out these images and showed me how we was going to do a reptile how it it was catered to reality that it was an actual skin disease and you know most unfortunate babies if someone's born with that skin disease you know the chances of life might be two years or less but you know this version of our world reptile lived to be 30. And, you know, his uh, psychotic breakdown was if he thought he's the flesh of his victims, it would help cure the disease. 
thus, you know, him having a cannibalism thing to him as well, you know. So and then I think he showed me something else concerning a quick image of Sub-Zero. We've seen know. it for like a millisecond in the short. Yeah, but he had, a interesting, he had an interesting backstory, you know, about the practicality of the uh, ice and him having to be subjected to like a uh, a frozen compound or something to keep him alive. So that way there was some, there was like a lot of reality based things to it. Now, of course, I know that rubs some people the wrong way because, you know, it's about the lore, the fantasy of different things. But, you know, when we set out to do this, I mean, of course, I was on board when he threw out these ideas. And then from there, I believed I reached out to Michael J. White because, you know, he's like a big brother of mine. And um, I was like, hey, Mike, look, bro, this guy has a great idea about Mortal Kombat. He's going to do this with um, Scorpion. He's going to do this with Johnny Cage. And I mentioned how he had this reality-based approach to it, but just gritty, grounded, surreal thing. And, you know, then he came aboard and um, I reached out to Latif as well. Oh, yes. uh, Latif was game. And uh, yeah, then came along Matt Mullins, you know, play out Johnny Cage, you know, so um, great experience. Um, it was crazy because um, <laughs> the hilarious part was, I don't know if people know this story, the short accidentally leaked online. Yeah. It accidentally leaked. I believe, I believe if I'm, if I'm correct, Kevin was trying to get an opinion about it from a buddy of his, like a a very respected uh, friend of his in the industry. He just wanted his opinion on it, but I don't think it was <laughs> it was locked or password protected. Now, reason why I'll never forget this was I was working on this. Uh, I was working on Green Lantern at the time. Okay. And um, we took a lunch break, and I went to my phone, and my phone had like hundreds of messages, fifty texts, bunch of emails. I'm thinking someone hacked into my phone. There's no way where I, you know, I was that popular for that many people to contact me. And people going, yo, Mortal Kombat's fire. What is this, bro? You didn't tell me, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? Next thing I know, it's viral. And uh, journalists were confused because the quality was so good. They didn't know if this was a preview, if this was real. And if I'm correct, Mortal Kombat 9 might have been on the verge of coming out. So maybe people were thinking this was a tie-in to promoting the new game. So it caused all this buzz. And, you know, and I hit Kevin. I'm like, Kevin, bro, bro, yo, yo, what happened? He's like, this is great, huh? (laughs) 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 So I was happy that he was happy. You know, because I think he wanted to approach it a different way. I think he wanted to show the short to Warner Brothers executives to give them the power and the option to decide where to go and what to do with it. Because sometimes when you do um, fan base shorts, sometimes it can backfire because, you know, unless it truly goes viral, and I mean like, millions and millions of hit and all of its positive then you get the studio's attention sometimes and back then a lot of people were shooting shorts 
you know, for different characters and different video games and IPs, ever I wanted to reinvent something. So um, it hit certain numbers. I believe it hit like 14 million in two days, you know, which was pretty high back then. And uh, yeah, before the end of the week or the next week, I believe Kevin was asked to take it offline by Warner Brothers, you know. Yeah, that's right. Um, I I think the scene where Jax punches out Kano's eye as well um, caused a big stir. Uh, no, I think you're. Uh, no, I was still referring to Rebirth, the original short. Oh, you're still talking about Rebirth? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still talking about Rebirth? Yeah, yeah, yeah because Rebirth, like I said, was that went viral, and then uh, it worked in Kevin's favor because. Um, uh, Warner Brothers reached out to him and wanted to discuss how can we take this further or how could we bring this world to life. And at that time, web series was starting to become a thing. And I, if I'm right, we were one of the first financed web series from a studio that actually put some money into it. Of course, you're always going to say it's never enough because you want to, you know, do your best and get the best quality possible. But yes, uh, the short of Rebirth led to uh, Legacy. Yeah. You know, so that that was an excellent transition from just uh, grinding and hard work and creativity into, uh, yeah, a Mortal Kombat web series uh, shot in uh, Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. When it comes to Rebirth, how long did it take to film the Johnny Cage versus Baraka fight was a smooth sailing. <laughs> Crazy story about that one. Uh, thank goodness we had two um, martial artists who can act uh, because there were some changes. I... That fight was actually longer than what was seen or what was filmed. Whoa. It was probably about two more sections to that fight scene that we ran out of time to film. So, I had to cut the fight on set. Like, I literally had to... What we do is sometimes we choreograph fight scenes, and then we basically break it up into sections. And we do a walkthrough in front of the crew uh, to make sure people understand, hey, team, this is section one. It stops here, whether it's an elbow to the throat or whether a guy gets his knee popped or something. And then we say, okay, here's section two. Section two ends with a clothesline, and his face goes into glass or something like that. So I believe the whole fight might have been five, six sections, huh. and I had to cut it down to four to give us an, to film it in the time we had left. And unfortunately, I believe we only had, I don't think I'm over-exaggerating, I believe I had four hours to film that whole fight scene. When originally, uh, you know, I thought my, I would have had about six to seven, you know? So, I mean, that's what happens when, you know, when you have acting, on the same day you film fight scenes. Obviously, you have to get all the acting done, you know, before you go into the fight scene. Yeah. And the fight scene was, I believe, the last thing of that day, and we were left with around four hours, you know. But because the guys were so well rehearsed, you know, um, we still came across uh, with something cool. Yeah. Uh, is there anything noteworthy uh, that was cut uh, from that fight that you can think of? Um, I believe Johnny Cage... There was a version of a shadow kick oh. that I wanted to do um, that would have sent 
Baraka into a wall, and then it would have been multiple kicks from from Johnny Cage. Because, you know, as the fans know, he's a great kicker as well. And there weren't that many kicks in the fight. So I think I took a kick out of that section and added to another section when Baraka was on the ground. And he did this, uh, what we call a, a 540. And he turned it on a slight angle to make sure it was more of a, a direct hit movement versus just a flashy movement. So yeah, I believe there was one section that would have added more MMA to him because, you know, um, modern day Johnny Cage, we, we infuse a little MMA with him. And I think it was just a, you know, a nice little more takedown, more combos. And, <clears throat> oh, I know what happened. Uh, there was a part where I believe they did a kick and they would have separated. And then it would have looked like the video game. And then they would have ran at each other as if round two. Oh. So, yeah, I remember I wanted to do that. You know, yeah, because, you know, it was so smash mouth and gritty and grindhouse. I wanted to give him a break and breathe, but that break would have went to the separation where the camera would have been pulled back far to look like they're at the proper distance of the video game. And then they charge at each other again oh, and man. then start fighting. Yeah. Yeah. So just it's those little nuggets. Um, I tried to sneak in, but, you know, I stuck with, hey, let's just make sure we get a fight scene shot. You know, because those things take time. Oh, yeah. So after yeah. seeing the gigantic success of Rebirth, uh, surely you must have been stoked to get to work on Legacy. From what we continuously keep hearing, uh, it was quite the rushed production with a limited budget, of course. Uh, did you find yourself in a rut where there was an extraordinary amount of pressure? How did it all flow out for that first show? And were you satisfied with how everything played out? Um, that was... Uh... It was a great experience for me only because, yeah, working on film, working on TV, and then seeing the difference between working on a web series, very micro in budget, micro in time. Uh, we had some great talented people, um, which always helps because, you know, there was no time to train anybody in martial arts. Like, you needed to come to the table knowing martial arts already. I don't believe there was any cast members that um had time to train so we kind of mm -hmm. had to come to the table with the choreography preset and then sometimes some choreography had to happen on set you know whether it was adapting to the atmosphere the floor or different stuff or the snow in some cases yeah. and we had to make some changes here and there um but yeah it, look i love the the product and how it came out especially when you look at uh episodes one and two it felt large in scale. I mean, we had these yeah. huge factories and, you know, the camera work was amazing. The color was good. The grading was good. The sound was great. Um, so it came out the gate strong, in my opinion. You know, um, uh, God bless him. Unfortunately, he's passed away. Darren Shalevi, yeah. uh, who played Kano. Good, good, good friend of mine. Um, I was so happy when he got the role because <clears throat> I just knew he would deliver a good Kano. Oh, and, yeah. uh, yeah, he did an amazing job. But one interesting story that, you know, um, was put out there, and I'm not sure if, if you knew about this. The very first time uh, Jax and Kano were fighting each other, and I believe Jax was running, chasing Kano. Yes. Um, yeah, 
Michael Ja pulled his hamstring on the first take. Ooh. Pulled his hamstring heavy. Heavy. To the point where we wondered if we was going to even be able to finish filming. And it was it was freezing cold. And I think what it was, he didn't have a lot of time to truly stretch and warm up. Because you can think you're warm, but with that cold weather, mm-hmm. you know, and having a sprint, you know, then I, I, I believe he, he popped the hamstrings. And that was before the fight started. So some movements had to change. And I think one or two kicks, he still went through and tried to do it. And I know it wasn't the best version of how he could perform it, but kudos to him for, you know, pushing through that. Because, you know, I, I would have no clue if we would have been able to film the fight scene at all, you know, based off of our time and our schedule, if that injury was so severe that he couldn't move. So he moved more with hands, but with hands, you still have to have your legs as a base and push off. Yeah. You know, so, and then the kicks that he was wanting to do, you know, he could only do it at maybe 50, 60 percent of what his normal ability was. But most people didn't notice that. So, Ooh. you know, that goes to talk about uh, his ability as a martial artist to push through. For sure. Now, yeah. is it also true that season two actually had a smaller budget than the first? Uh, if so, can you remember yeah. the approximate budget set for each season, roughly? Um, I really don't know numbers. Okay. I, I want to say season one had over a million. I want to say that. Um, but season two definitely did not have a million. <laughs> you know, So if that was the case, if that was the true number, I know season two didn't have that. Now, whether it was cut in half, cut by just 30%, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, season two definitely felt the impact of um, not having that same budget or time frame. You know, so yeah, unfortunately. Mm. Now, you're on file to say that you had lesser of a role uh, in season two compared to the first. As I understand, Garrett Warren looked over a lot of the fight Mm -hmm. choreography. Uh, Either way, you were still a part of the project and did your usual line of work. What were some fight scenes in season two that you were more heavily oriented with? Um, Season two was interesting because I believe I was doing a movie called Ride Along at the time with Uh. Kevin Harden. Um. And Kevin, um, Kevin Tantron, you know, was, you know, like, oh, man, we're back for season two, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And um, I wasn't available. So he had to find a coordinator. But I made an arrangement, if I'm right, that we did a lot of the fight scenes, like this process we call Stunt Viz, where we get the stunt guys, get the script break it down and action design the choreography in a gym sometimes with boxes chairs tables trying to mimic you know what this scene says it is like for instance Luke Kang <clears throat> Luke Kang's in the bar so okay cool let's mimic a bar it's going to be tables going to be chairs there might be a pool table so we mimic the best version we can with our camera we edit it um, and then we send it off to Kevin and then he says hey I love it or okay I want to make these changes and then changes are made and then if I'm right we did that for five six different sequences where I choreographed it in a different place sent the videos and Garrett was a stunt coordinator so Garrett was there 
and he made his changes and then he rehearsed it with the actors and then he executed it so actually uh. i believe i was only there one time and i think i saw oh what did i see i think i saw the katana fight in melina I think that was one of the only ones I was around for, based off of my schedule. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, kudos to them, man, because um, that was tough, you know, when you have less time to do um, what people expect, because people expect more the next season. Right. You know, so yeah, yeah, man. But man, uh, it was good time still getting those scripts and seeing things and, um, one cool thing about season one, I don't think many people know, I think we had we had a Goro episode. What? We had a Goro episode. Yeah, there was actually a script for a Goro episode. Um, yeah, where Goro was not the champion. Where, uh, if I'm correct, he had a brother, an older brother. Right. Who who was more of the champion and then Goro wasn't there yet concerning being the monster. Everybody know him. Wait, you gotta think about <clears throat> that's an expensive thing to have multiple <laughs> multiple guys like that with full arms and how do you film it? And I think the decision came down to either we cut three full episodes to do that one Goro episode. So you might have lost three episodes, if I'm right, concerning money to do a decent job to bring mm -hmm. it to life because of the expenses with all the visual effects and making that work. But yeah, I remember Goro thing having to fight his brother, Whoa. you know, to claim, to claim the throne or claim the prince title or something like that. It's been so long. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, there was a Goro episode, and you know, and I think Kevin made—I believe he made the right decision because you know, someone like Goro, you can save, and you want to build the actual character. So I'm not sure who would have been on the chopping block, but I think we you would have lost three episodes to to afford a Goro episode. So yeah, it would have been a very short season. Holy mac! Well, that is very yeah. interesting. Now, yeah, we've also heard from the grapevine that uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was initially in discussions <laughs> to play Johnny Cage. Is this true? Yes, it is true. <laughs> yes, it, yes, it is true. It is true. And then in the 12th hour, in the 12th hour, I think some negotiations fell through concerning um, where he was filming and uh, getting him back in time to Vancouver because, you know, he lived in Vancouver at the time, you know, so it was very convenient. You know, Kevin and I met with him and we had a great discussion. I worked with Van Damme on two movies previously to that. And uh, believe it or not, I showed Van Damme the short in his trailer on a movie that we were doing. Okay. And he was so impressed with the Rebirth short, he couldn't believe it. You know, he's like, Lionel, you know Johnny Cage is based off of me, right? <laughs> so... I was like, yes, JC, I know that. And he looked at it and he was just so impressed. And he was just blown away because I was like, yeah, we shot this. This was shot in two days. He's like, what? Two days? I was like, yeah, it shot for, uh, I think, $8,000. No way, blah, blah, blah. You know, so 
he was all excited and i was like hey so we uh we just got green like to shoot this as a web series and he didn't i don't think he understood what a web series was at the time okay but uh from the information i had which was still truthful was the web series was always intended to be an introduction to the characters to move on to a movie thus saving the backstories and blah 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 and this and that that's why when you got to someone like Jax, you knew he would have had the arms for the film. Yes. But now you don't have to cover that story. And you're not losing 40 minutes here and there, 45 minutes or so, and cutting people's story short. So the web series was supposed to be an intro to get everybody ready for a film. Yeah. But yeah, so JC, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, uh, negotiations, timing, his schedule just didn't work out you know and he um he couldn't do it but you know uh, in hindsight yeah it's always great to see jean claude step into that role but it was kind of cool seeing matt mullins get get a fair fair chance to continue yes being johnny cage you know so i think it was meant to be Yes, I think Matt Mullins was uh, one of the best portrayals. I thought he was fantastic. I, I don't want to pry too much, but do you know why uh, he didn't return for season two? What happened? Um, not sure. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, you know, because I wasn't privy to a lot of stuff on season two because I was on um, Ride Along doing that movie in Atlanta. So yeah. I wasn't privy on schedule or, or why they, they changed Johnny Cage's or stuff like that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's way too funny when it comes to Jean Claude because uh, to this day, a lot of people on on social media still want him to be Johnny Cage and in, in the next movie. You know, there's <laughs> I hear about it all the time, man. That, that, yeah, that ship has gone. You know, <laughs> I mean, but you know, the crazy thing about it, you know, the the timing would have been great for the web series at the time because the character that Matt Mullins was playing was actually a version of JCVD, his movie that uh, when he played himself and he had his heartfelt performance yeah. about, um, you know, a reality star, I mean, a movie star who had to become a reality star down on his luck, trying to find his way back, you know. So it was interesting to see Johnny Cage. And I, I get it. Sometimes fans, they love the pure art of the character in their canon you know, whether he's jokey, whether he's on top, whether he's flamboyant and flashy. And, you know, sometimes uh, as a director, you take a risk. And, you know, the risk might have been, what if uh, Johnny Cage was an alcoholic? What if he was down on his luck? What if he was broke? Yeah. And the tournament was a way to <clears throat> get back into glory of his former years. And this is all he had left. You know, it's not as exciting as the... As the guy with the quips and the chiseled chin and the, the million dollar smile and the expensive Ray-Bans, you know, that's not as exciting. I get it. But in the age of storytelling, it might you might go, huh, I didn't see it that way. And I'm not sure if I hate it, but you know what? I'm open because right. he's still going to fight. He's still going to maybe crack a joke here and there or not take a situation very serious. You know, but within the tone and the, the how intelligent our audiences are, it's it's interesting balance when you take risk like that. And I, I respect Kevin for taking those risks. Agreed. Well said, Larnell. 
uh, beyond that, I believe his, I believe uh, JC's daughter Bianca was training for the series to be Molina in season two. Well, no, she was trying to be Katana. If oh, Katana. Season okay. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't work out because JC didn't work out. So you know, neither you know, because schedules didn't work out. But yeah, um, I'm happy we we had Sam Joe. You know, to um, yeah, was Samantha Wynn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did an amazing job. Um, the unfortunate part about that was that was another fight. Oof, that fight was trimmed by sixty percent. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. Well, for one, um, we were in a location where, even though with the snow and transferring equipment to get from a higher part of the mountain to a lower part of the mountain where um, they had this uh, bungalow area that they were going to fight underneath, which is where they did do the fight scene. But it was supposed to still be somewhat daytime, not true night. And by the time we got there and the sun was going down and time was shifting, you know, we had to find a way to do the quickest version of this fight as possible. And I felt so bad for those girls because they trained so hard. Oh. And uh, but but we had to do that and get to an acting scene because when you're on a web series, it's not like um, a feature film where <clears throat> if someone says, oh, you have Monday to shoot it and you're only supposed to have Monday, there's contingency plans in place for film. You know, sometimes there's money in a budget that most time producers will not admit is there, you know, for just in case you don't complete your day. Like, hey, we only got 50 percent complete. Ah, well, I guess we got to come back in a week, you know, to to film it or finish filming. And they got to right. check the actor's schedule. They got to get that spot again. You know, it's a big deal. That's why, you know, completing your day or finishing a scene is very valuable. And in a web series. We had no choice. Each day we had to finish a scene. There was no coming back. There was no, oh, we can just complete it tomorrow. Because, you know, it was always a domino effect into the next day, into the next fight. So, yeah, that fight right there was cut by 60%. You know, so whatever you saw, <laughs> imagine 60% more. You know, there would have been more time for Melina to be a little more vicious and evil and and do a few more things and more time for Katana to have to figure it out. There was a lot more fan work, a lot more side side fighting, Ooh. you know, so there was definitely way more weapons, you know, involved with it. Yeah. Whoa. That would have been yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get the fans what they what what I know they wanted to see in different areas. Cause you know, being an avid video game player or you know, a blurred so to speak, you know, on my end, I do my best to say if I was watching this, what would I want to see? Yeah. And as a fan. Yeah. But then there's the other side of it, whether it's time, politics, talent, scheduling, you know, and how much time you have, you gotta say, okay, I gotta put fandom aside and say, what can I do to service the characters and still find a way to do something cool within the time that I'm given? You know, and say, hey Larnell, you got two hours, man. Two hours. I was supposed to have six hours with these girls. I got two. All right, so ladies, here we go. So cut section three, trim section two in half. Only give me the first five moves from section one. Combine that with section four and give me the last half of section four. Okay, rehearse it. Okay, uh, okay. 
Yep, that's what I have time for. Okay, camera's up. Let's go. Camera here, camera here, and then we do our thing. And at the end of the day, you walk away hoping you accomplish something cool that the audience will enjoy because, you know, audiences don't know what was not there if it wasn't filmed. Yeah. They can only go by what you show. But in our hearts that, you know, when you rehearse something, you're like, oh, man, we had a great Katana Molina fight. I wish we could have filmed it. Mm-hmm. And also, but yeah, yeah, good times though. Now, uh, not only because of time constraints, but uh, also with budget limitations, there mm-hmm. were s- other things in uh, fight scenes that had to be removed. Like, if I'm not mistaken, I think you've mentioned before, uh, Sector's rockets and Cyrex's net from uh, season one were cut out. Uh, could you fill us in on any other scenes within the two seasons that were scrapped because of uh, mm-hmm. situations like that? That's one of the biggest ones right now um, yeah. was the net and the rockets. Um, for one, you know, if I'm right, that individual episode was saved until Comic Con to premiere. It was like saved. it was a, it yeah. Was, yeah it was weird because um and you know I I go to Comic Con every year if I could you know there were certain years I couldn't make it but yeah that was an amazing year because we. We uh, already premiered Legacy, but the Cyrax and Sector episode wasn't ready during the season. It needed more time for visual effects. So they saved the premiere of that one until Comic-Con, you know, and I was sitting there watching it and I was blown away because, dude, I got to be honest, if you put, if you go to YouTube, right now and let's say you have a surround sound and you know a nice green tv or projector then you put on that episode and when you watch those guys get encased in those metal outfits dude it looks good i agree and and i was just sitting there like oh i'm hitting kevin like yo (laughs) (laughs) yo looking at this man i was blown away and so I get it why decisions had to be made, you know, probably uh, in post and things like that. Because, yeah, the rockets were going to hit hydro. I believe I believe the net, it was a teamwork thing that um, before they did the martial art tag team thing, I believe it was going to be some type of thing where Sector runs and does a sweep and scissors his legs. Oh, then Cyrax, then Cyrax shoots the net. And then if I'm correct, Sector shoots the rockets at him, then he breaks out the net, and then they do the physical martial art tag team thing on him, ending with the ending we saw. So, yeah. Yeah, we try to go big. Yeah. We try to go big. Because, you know, when someone tells me visual effect-wise what we can and can't afford, and there wasn't a limitation to it, I was like, well, I'm not going to go crazy because people want to see them fight, but we got to do their signature thing. So someone has to shoot the net. Someone has to shoot the rockets. Just give me that at least. Couldn't afford it. So yeah. uh, good. Though. Any other signature moves you can think of from other uh, characters in the series or not that come to mind right now? None that come to mind, but I really was trying to convince Kevin to add Cabal in there. Oh, you know, I think that's one of his yeah. favorite characters too. 
It is. It is. Um, it is. Man, we, we've been talking about cabal for years, 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 where we wanted to treat cabal like a Jason Voorhees. Oh, you know, just like this huge monster that can sprint, you know, and instead of making someone making someone spin from speed, it would have been his weapon that when he slices your leg, you spin halfway. But he's already running back the other way, slicing you again, making you spin another time. So you still get what the video game has, but you get it in the real world sense. You know, so it was, yeah, it was one of those things I wish, wish we could have had time to play and do it right. And it would have, it would have got, Kevin and I were such fans of Cabal. It would have got the treatment Rebirth would have got. Yeah. That's, that's the treatment Cabal would have got. It would have been, it would have been like a horror movie. That's what it would have been like. I know that may not be canon and that may not be exactly what, you know, the fans would have expected, but it would have got the rebirth type of treatment for him. And you know what? To be honest, I think that's, in my opinion, that's something that Mortal Kombat is missing, especially lately in the in uh, some of the more recent games. Is I love that sort of horror aspect uh, that it used mm -hmm. to have. Like Mortal Kombat Four, I think is deeply mm -hmm. underrated. My God, it's mm -hmm. it's got this kind of creepy tone uh, and atmosphere and music. Uh, one mm -hmm. thing I did like in the the newest movie was Joe Taslam's portrayal of Sub-Zero. It was so yes. intimidating and creepy, yes, kind yes, of like yes. a Jason Voorhees. So I think Mortal yes. Kombat needs to bring that back, brother. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, it was, yeah, it was good times, man. You know, I just hate that um, we couldn't flesh out Kevin's true vision. And, you know, look, I respect what was accomplished with Legacy, but I really, really wish they would have let him keep his original vision and do it in the rebirth sense because yeah. you know a lot a lot of fans you know i get it they wanted to well how will it play into the mystical elements if we don't all this grounded gritty stuff but if you notice if you notice at the end of rebirth scorpion when he got up he had the pupils he yep. had the eyes you know so kevin would have found a way to give you that you know, where it was serial killers and criminals and assassins and stuff, you know, in the earth realm, he would have found a way to transition the mystical elements and magical elements too. if, you know, he would have been given a fair chance, you know, but I know it's risky, you know, going that route, you know, so. Is there a fight scene within the show that you're most proud of, you'd say? Mm. It's a tough one. Um, usually I'm proud of fights that were challenged to pull off. And um, whether it was time constraints, um, nature, atmosphere, the outfits. Um, I'm going to say probably the Sub-Zero Scorpion fight um, was the most challenging. I mean, obviously I would say the sector in, uh, Cyrus and Hydra fight came out the best because, uh, it was in a studio in front green screen. Uh, it was easier for the guys to do their moves and everything worked out perfectly. You know, uh, yeah, we had to cut a few powers here and there, but overall the fight came out as I envisioned. And, you know, I'm happy Kevin, uh, gave me the freedom 
to do that fight scene as well. But um, I would say the Scorpion Sub-Zero fight, only because the challenge of the snow was difficult. And, you know, we had great performers in um, Jeremy Marinas and Kim Doe, who performed uh, the stunt portions of it as well. Uh, but literally, I remember us having to put boards, like um, wooden boards, underneath the snow to give them something solid to jump and fight off of. Because these were amazing performers who can do all these tricks and cool moves, but in the real snow, it's like almost trying to do that in sand. Right. You know, but cold, you know, so um, we had to figure it out, you know, because um, we didn't have no clue how much snow there would be or how deep the snow would be, you know, so, um, yeah, we did our best and uh, I'm happy those boys were able to pull off what they were able to pull off, you know, in that snow, you know, which was not easy. So, yeah, that's probably one of the the ones that are up there for me yeah that's that's a lovely fight uh from season one uh, i also happened to see some behind the scenes photos of that fight actually and it looked like uh originally you guys were going to use a lot more of the ice sword is is that accurate you guys cut a lot of that stuff out oh wow you did your research <laughs> yeah there wasn't <laughs> there was an ice sword there was me me geeking out um trying to make i think one was one created by props i'm trying to remember did props create one or was a handle created and the visual effects was going to add the icicle sword to it? Yeah, man. Yeah. Look, <laughs> being a, a true fan of these things, you know, I wanted Sub-Zero to throw ice darts at him as well. Yeah. You know, just, just throw ice darts while, you know, Scorpion blast with fire and they melt and then they get back together and fight again. Then he gets the sword. Then eventually it forces Scorpion to pull out, you know, his ultimate weapon and defeat him. So, you know, there was many levels to it. And, you know, always had to keep hearing, Lord, oh, it's a web series. It's a web series. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's cool, but it's a web series. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. But we, we did what we could with the time we had. And once again, I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. And, yeah. Did yeah, you get it? But, hey. But hey, here we are with, with Mortal Kombat the movie. And um, yeah, yeah. So I'm happy that it's still going. I'm happy, you know, that um, Warner Brothers chose to give life to uh, a franchise and a video game that's well deserving. And, you know, um, yeah, it's interesting because I remember I pitched something to Kevin and. You know, I was like, man, if, if we could have did this right, it should have been broken up into three films. One version was you get, let's see if I remember this right. You get Jax, you get Sonya, you get Kano, you get Cabal, and Stryker, if I'm right. Stryker, right? Sounds all about right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you basically deal with the military, you deal with the Black Dragon, you deal with cops and stuff, and you get the gritty real-world version going, okay, yeah. to introduce us, okay? No mystical stuff in that. That's all real people, but it's still Mortal Kombat. You come out with something like that for like, eh, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to throw a guess out there. You do it for like $40 million, okay? 
All right. Low overhead, chance for a profit. Cool. That makes a profit. Now, now you go to the out world. Nice. Now it's ninja. Now it's ninja time. You can do your scorpion. You can do your sub-zero. You can do your reptiles. Um, uh, who else am I missing ninja-wise? Rain. Oh, you know, you split. Noob Cyborg. Yeah, yeah. You, you split out world up, you know, in in its own area. But the Shao Kahn's, the Shang Tsung's, the Raiden's, and everything else, that's its own movie in itself. When you deal with... I feel like there's a way to separate everything and have it build towards the tournament, and the tournament is the fourth movie. I like that progression. You, yeah. you go gritty and realistic with the military cops and blah, blah, blah. And of course, you do your post-credit thing or something like that. you know. But then the next one, you get the ninjas involved because everybody loves Sub-Zero and Scorpion. Both of them have such an amazing story. You literally can deal with your clients and then do a movie off of them. That's enough. You're gonna have your reptiles. You might have rain appear, okay? You might be able to sneak in someone else. You might be able to sneak in Jade or someone like that. Okay, cool. That's enough. That's at least five, six characters oh, yeah. there that you can have fun with. Cool. Then time to hit out world. Now you get Raiden. Now you get Shang Tsung. Now you get Katana, Melina. And then maybe Shao Kahn, or no, maybe Shang Tsung introduces Goro at the last thing. Then now, here comes your film, part four. If each movie made money, now they can put well over $100 million into the actual Mortal Kombat film. And there's a progression of people who were patient, they, their characters or serve justice on characters' development. They all had good fight scenes, and not too much was crammed into one thing. Yes, because Mortal Kombat Annihilation made that mistake. Crammed way too many characters in it, and it just it was overwhelming. You couldn't uh, explore yeah. the backstories. So, no, I, I like that idea. I think that's yeah. that's freaking brilliant, man. Yeah, well, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, you don't want it to be cameos, because... Yeah. What's a cameo? What's a cameo to somebody is someone else's favorite character, and yeah. I know you can't. I know you can't service everybody. Like, okay, let's say um, Striker, for instance. Okay, <laughs> all right, someone like Striker. Yes, he might be on a, a a low totem pole to some people concerning uh, likability, uh, everything else. But for a film, Jack, Sonya, and Striker are probably. And Johnny Cage are probably the easiest and most relatable ones to bring to life on film that you could put true story behind. Yeah. Because you imagine a cop doing the best he can with his nightstick, his gun, some grenades, some brass knuckles, some handcuffs, you know, whatever. And that's just all he has, you know, and that's relatable right there. You know, of course, he might get killed but once he faces somebody who's of. The out world or has mystical powers or whatever but guys like that you can dive into and create good stories around you know you can create a great tv show on yeah. a few characters like that you know which I, I really hope they expand and if certain people don't make it into a movie i really hope um you know 
WB now? Is it WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery? I really hope they decide that if the next film is just as successful, that certain people who won't make it into the movie, they decide to do a Mortal Kombat TV show. And you can have cameos from some of your favorite people from the movie every now and then. But keep it more of a grounded, gritty version. And, you know, obviously it's going to be on Earth and stuff like that. But I really hope they go there. I really hope so too. That's what I really want. And, and, and there's no doubt in my mind it's going to be extremely successful because I mean, in, in '98 to '99, MK Conquest was the biggest television show, new IP of its time, along with uh, uh, Pamela Anderson's show, the biggest show. Uh, mm-hmm. The only reason it got uh, canceled was because um, there was a financial sort of struggle between studios, and ultimately they had to. But. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Legacy, uh, uh, you know, exploded in terms of short series. They got to do it because the thing about Mortal Kombat and, and why I personally love it so much is because of all the rich characters and, and their lore. Yes. They got to yes. bring this to the screen, man. They have yes, to. Yeah. yeah, man. Um, and look, I believe they're starting to film part two in June. Yeah, that's what uh, I hear. For, for the film so i'm grateful to hear that you know because as a fan i'm excited to see where it goes next what's expand what lessons they learn from the first one that'll be different in a sequel because you know um it had good timing because i believe what COVID was still very heavy at the time mm-hmm. you yep. know it was still very heavy at the time so they was really paying attention to the numbers of um who's going to check it out and who was going to support it at the time, and the numbers were pretty good, you know. So it, it was it was more than enough to get to a sequel, you know. Um, yeah. Made money, you know. So let's let's see what they do. Who's going to get introduced, or what new character is going to pop up, or what's going to be the difference, you know, uh, between one and two? I'm excited. It feels good to be a fan and just sit there and watch it, you know, and just see yeah. see what friends of mine are doing with it. So <laughs> I got a question for you. Um... What was your favorite scene in the new movie? Favorite scene in the new movie? <laughs> Easy. It was definitely uh, seeing uh, Sub-Zero uh, take fight Scorpion. That's, that's, that's the epitome, man. You know, um, seeing the powers, the ice, freezing the ice in midair, or the blood, throwing it back, you know. Uh, yeah, it just, it's, so, it's so many different things, man, within that, that... I try not to go, oh, man, well, you know, you geek out and go, man, could he have done the bridge? Could he have slid across the bridge and, you know, stuff like that? Yeah, but believe it or not, man, um, oof, Kevin's Mortal Kombat script was really good. That's what I was going to ask you about. What the hell was it about? I got to hear it, man. It was Sub-Zero was the, I mean, they're doing the same way, but Sub-Zero was the ultimate badass nice i mean he he was if i'm correct he was he was in this prison that had fire around it oh and and jackson sonia were one of the people who knew he was down there i forgot how did he get out but there was a there was you know there was a character that you know is similar to the character they have now that they're building you know, to try to find his powers and stuff, but um, yeah, so there was something real similar in that, but the way uh, Sub-Zero was uh, introduced 
he was like a monster man. Um, and in the way it read, it read so visual, the way he was killing all the guards and and then how they was trying to lock it back down, but it was too late. And, you know, it was definitely one of those build up things. He read so strong. He read like how you would expect to read Goro or Shang Tsung. Sure. Yeah. And I, I was happy that that's what they did because them doing stuff like that ups the ante for characters you expect to be that badass versus he was just another ninja who had these cool ice powers and you know they treated him very mid they didn't do that they treated him like the main beast villain that was so difficult to beat and um yeah man it was yeah it, it was crazy stuff you know wanted to do with his ice and these these sickles and different things that he was going to have and and uh yeah yeah it was going to be everybody's a fan of the raid you know yeah so imagine yeah so imagine the raid to the prison when um he was trying to break out imagine that being sub-zero and everybody oh coming God. at him and you just got limbs and body parts flying and you know him raking people's face across the wall and the wall is made of ice uh blades and different things while people are shooting at him and it's freezing in midair as the bullets are flying at him and yeah it was a huge breakout scene i remember but yeah it was, it was a good script it that's was a so, really really good script yeah and i think it was going to be in new orleans of all places which is my hometown no freaking way man yeah because if you think about it the voodoo and mysticism and Stuff in New Orleans, the French quarters, that that's the perfect place for a portal to open up. <laughs> <laughs> With the swamps down there and uh the yeah, yeah, the Cajun, the uh, legends of voodoo and stuff, you know, so it was interesting that yeah, too bad it didn't happen, man. Uh, that's uh, that's really really a shame. Yeah, I was super super excited uh, because you know being such a, a fan of Legacy and Rebirth that I am, I think I think Kevin is absolutely genius. And uh, yes, it would have been really something special to see um, what he had to offer. Uh, do you remember any other um, unique characters uh, maybe who are in the script uh, who are going to be uh, a decent sized role? No, no unique characters, but Kevin and I would have a running joke where. I really wanted Bo Rai Cho to be uh, part of season two. <laughs> it was, it was, we had this running joke, but it wasn't a joke in a sense of not taking the character serious. It was like we were going to give him his just due. I mean, if Kevin had it his way, he would have got Samuel Hung. Dude, I was just going to say Bo that. <laughs> If Kevin had it his way and we joked about it and was like, oh, my God, would that have been amazing? I mean, in, Ke in Kevin's world, you get Donnie Yen to be Kung Lao. You know, you, you, you get you get you in, in Kevin's interesting where he would use off the cuff characters and make them something special. You know, um, you know, you get both. Like, could you imagine Bo Wright show popping up and it's Sammo Hung? People you can't help minds. but take that. You can't help but take that character seriously now, yep. and and that's the great thing about a director with vision. He'll make you look at a character that was treated as a joke, 
or in, in, in its own way to go, holy crap. Remember, most times there's still hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even millions. Yes, you're going to get millions of people who love Scorpion, millions who love Sub-Zero. But then there's millions who love Katana, obviously Liu Kang, obviously Johnny Cage. But there's a few hundred thousand that love a bull ride show <laughs> or, you know, or people off the cuff like Cabal or different things like that. So I would have loved to see that happen. But funny enough, one of my favorite characters that when I think about it now uh, for season two, um, one of my favorite fights that was executed well, in my opinion, was seeing Kenshi come to life. Dan Dan Souther is a great friend of mine. Um, go way back, and he looks like him. He was so perfect, and um, so yeah. when I I recommended him for it, it was to the point. I was like, dude, he don't need an audition. Look at him. <laughs> Look at him. <clears throat> He's Kenshi. Yeah. But I, you know, a little fanboy service. Um, who did uh, Kenshi fought? Reptile, right? No, it was Ermac and played by Kim Dunn. Ermac, okay, yeah, he fought Ermac. Okay, got it. Yeah. A little, little fanboyism. The same guy who was the stunt double for Scorpion in season one, he played Ermac. Yeah, Kim Dunn. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was that was pretty cool, you know to keep people moving and have fun and play different things or whatever. So yeah, that, yeah, that was, that was a good one in my opinion. I agree. And, and season two also, um, let's see, Eric, Eric, Eric Jacobus, yep. um, who's an amazing martial artist, you know, he, he did a great job with Stryker and, and yeah, we had a great fight scene, man. You know, from what I remember, I'm not sure. How much Kung, Lao, fight? Kung Lao was supposed to fight Liu Kang. He told us all about it. Yeah. That would have been so insane. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Mark DeCascos, who plays Kung Lao, was supposed to do like a, a butterfly twist or something like that. It's going to be like very, very grand in scale. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so weird because now when you when I think about this now, oof, you, you're giving me a nice flashback. Um, I believe it was around Thanksgiving time. Where I left or had a break on a movie I was doing in Atlanta, and I was actually able to get back to LA to see some rehearsals happen for season two. Uh -huh. And I actually, I actually met uh, Garrett and Mark DeCoscos at <clears throat> this um, place called Jam in LA. And we actually went over his fight scene. And I believe during that same week, I was able to see Dan do his fight with Kim. And another fight scene I was able to see, just kind of like saying, okay, I know I filmed it. I know I choreographed it, but now let's see it rehearsed. Yeah. Let's make some changes. And then I hopped back on a plane right after Thanksgiving and went back to Atlanta and Garrett took over and um, was there executing the fights on set, you know. And uh, I did like the dark Luke Kane. Um, yeah. I did think, I did think that was an interesting um, version of it. But yeah, man, there was this. Huh, 
Oh man, there was this version of a film. I guess I can let this out. This was pretty cool because it, it never hit the paper. But I know Kevin and I talked about this. Yeah. Uh, that Liu Kang you saw in that one, we had an idea that could you imagine? And I know this would make piss a lot of fanboys off. Like, see, that's why he shouldn't direct it. That's why I'm happy it didn't happen. And blah blah blah. I get it. I get it. But sometimes you gotta swing for the fences. Absolutely. And then, and then sometimes shit happens or it sticks. There was a version where we were gonna start off with Jackson Sonia entering a building with a with a team, and as they go up floor to floor, you know they're. Um, they're communicating on their comms and they're being very careful and giving all these commands and you see the flashlights and you see different people going room to room. It, do you see him? Do you see him? And no one's saying who, you know, who we're talking about. And then when they enter this one room, um, the bodies are there and you see a guy sitting on top of what looks like 10 bodies and it's Luke K. And he's he's went crazy mm-hmm. and he's mumbling to himself about the legacy, the prophecy and other things like that. He's got blood on him. His hands got blood and stuff or whatever. And it looks like he's in his own world. And the, the, there's these uh, five <clears throat> SWAT guys, I guess, standing around him. And he won't move and he just won't look at them. He just keeps mumbling about the prophecy and combat and, you know, stuff like that under his breath. And then, you know, um, they call on the mic and say, hey, we found him. And, you know, of course, Jackson's soon like, what, what floor? Seventh floor, blah, blah, blah. And then they go to rush. Do not engage. Do not engage. Blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. of course, <laughs> Well, one one guy gets a little too close and starts to try to poke him or, you know, hey, on the ground, on the ground now, blah, blah, blah. And I think the, the light hits him and then he, as soon as he looks, there's a little fire in his eyes, oh. you know, and then all of a sudden he just lays waste into everybody. I mean, bending spines and punching through people and, you know, uh, as bullets are coming at him, he does a punch with his hand on fire and it goes into the guy's uh, chest and burns him and whatever. And by the time they enter the room, you see a guy's ashes, I believe, dropping, you know, which was a sign like when he was the dragon in the animalities and oh, stuff like that. Yeah. Like he could burn, he could burn him with his fists or something like that. And then when Jackson Sonia into the room, of course, there's this huge two-on-one fight scene, you know, Whoa. with Jackson Sonia take, taking on Liu Kang. And I believe it ended with them teaming up. Sonia doesn't have the sonic ring thing, yeah. but she has a sound device that makes a sonic type of thing that could hurt the ears which would make sense from being uh military or different things of that background or whatever so you don't get the ring thing but you do get a sonic type of pushing type of sound thing i think that would have hurt his ears to set up jacks 
to do the slamming thing. And oh. as Jax punches him, he keeps punching him and he keeps going deeper and deeper through the wall, you know. And then finally they both team up for one big move or whatever. And then Luke Kang goes flying out the building and the camera's below. And he lands on this gate of spikes. <laughs> and then the MK sign comes up and the credits start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damn. And of course, of course, we were like, are we going there? And it's like, yeah, let's go there. Like, wait a second. Are we killing Lou Kane in the opening scene? And I'm like, bro. Fuck it, because <laughs> Deadly Alliance. Well, for, for, yeah, for for me, for me, I guess you know, because I'm I'm shifting to directing as well, and you yep. know, the ability to tell a story is key, you know. And sometimes it's not what can you do for shock factor to just shock people. It's what serves the story, and where are you at this time in these characters' lives? What can you give fresh? To make people sit up and go, oh, oh, okay, all right, well, where are we going with this now? You know, the Savior, okay. But, you know, the prophecy, he's fought multiple tournaments. It wasn't what it seemed. He went crazy. He's seen people die. You know, Kung Lao could be dead. Katana could be dead at this time. You know, maybe he fell in love with Katana. There was a, mm. a things you could have explored, things you could have said <clears throat> later to explain why he went crazy. And there was no going back <clears throat> from this. And Raiden could regret the fact he couldn't help him or he couldn't reach out more or he couldn't, you know, or he felt a sense of responsibility, all the pressure of being Earth Savior. He cracked or something. Maybe. I don't know. But in a sense of seeing that on film, and if that's my first 10 minutes, I'm strapped in now. I'm like, oh, okay, where are we going with this now? Because it basically make, it basically sets the tone of no one's safe. Yes. And, and if you treat, and this is just my opinion, you know, if you treat the Mortal Kombat characters like no one's safe, then I think it makes the audience tune in more. Because if you see a cameo character, what are you going to think? Oh, here comes a fatality. They're going to kill this character because he's a nobody. He doesn't have a huge fan following. But the idea of starting something off like that, you never never know who's next. Like It may not even be about the tournament. It might be more about... You know, tracking down the remaining combatants to get to a team together because the next one's coming up. And who will be the guy to step up this time? That could be really interesting, you know, so. Yeah, brother, when it, when it comes to me, man, I always prefer uh, the unexpected because that gets you at the mm-hmm. edge of your seat. And to me, mm-hmm. personally, that's, that's true cinema. If it doesn't get me at the edge of my seat, something's yeah. missing. So I yeah. think there could be some definite potential there yeah yeah there's characters that deserve that and i believe that thing we talked about with cabal would have made it in that film too that um cabal you know would have been like a jason Voorhees type of character you know i mean i get it there's many ways you can go you can go the slim sleek speedy guy you know with the hook weapons and it feels like he's coming straight out of kung fu theater 
you know, with moving with the way he twirls and uses those weapons. Or you can go six foot six, you know, and, you know, he hacks and slash with it and he doesn't spin them and twirl fancy, you know, but the way he uses them is very brutal, very direct, you know, very dangerous. Because I feel like if a weapon is spinned too many times, it takes away the danger from it and it becomes more flash. Yeah. Just like a, like a samurai is very dangerous because he focuses on one strike, one kill. As to where in a, ninja, a ninja fight scene, ting, 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 right. ting, oh, here comes one slice. Oh, he's not dead. <laughs> ting, 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 Here comes another slice. Oh, he's not dead. But samurai, he's trying to pull out, come back in. You're dead. Okay. Yeah. But I understand we have to entertain the audience. We have to give them fight scenes. So there has to be a sense of disbelief that you have to let go of, you know, what really could happen versus you want to have a memorable fight scene. But yeah, that was an idea Kevin and I talked about for a while, Whoa. I believe. And, and, it, and we was torn between that being Cabal or that being Liu Kang. Because, you know, them hunting Cabal would make sense. Right. That he's a serial killer and you go in that room and he's sitting on a throne of bodies, basically drinking the blood of his enemies or something like some sick serial killer. And he's got these hooks and he just lays into the team. Yeah, that was a, that was one version I believe we talked about. I think it was always Cabal. But then we flipped it and said, what if it was Luke Kang, man? Mm. What if Luke Kang went crazy and... He's got the gray hair right now, and he, he's haggard. He's not that in shape anymore, and he looks drunk and just totally out of it, and he's talking to himself in third person, you know, just just really mess his mind up, and he's got the wounds and cuts on him from previous battles, and maybe he's got a half an eye or something, you know, just like weather-worn. You know, a battle, battle worn, should I say, sure. you know, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, get me excited again. It never happened, but uh, <laughs> I just see that opening. That opening would have been insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I quite like that concept because um, it sort of brings me back, believe it or not, to uh, it makes me think of Mortal Kombat Conquest uh, because Kung Lao, mm. throughout that whole season, he was mm. really, really struggling with the concept of, you know, all this responsibility and there's so much pressure on him. It looked like at mm. times he was going to lose it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really did. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was interesting. The, the, the trio of them, I'm sorry, I forgot the female's name that was with him. She had the red hair. Um, oh, um, I taught you. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was great, you know, seeing that dynamic of them create something not out of nothing, but give it a pass to lead us into the future. So I thought it was very cool. Whoever came up with that concept and and didn't make it about Sub-Zero, Scorpion, or Liu Kang, started with a younger Kung Lao. And, you know, I'm sure they would have loved to go four or five seasons, you know. But, um, yeah, I feel like they were just getting warmed up when that season two hit. They, they had my attention every week. I could not wait. I would stay for the credits so I can see, oh, he was in it this week. Oh, because it felt good seeing friends' names scroll across that screen and go, oh, man, I can't wait to do this one day, you know, and get into the industry. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Mortal Kombat Conquest was a, a special place for me as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, one of the coolest fight scenes on that show I find was um, uh, Percy Spitfire Brown's uh, uh, version of Rain. Yeah, yeah. He had a good episode. He had a really, yeah. really good episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too bad he only had one, but um, I'm going to see. Was there a rumor about somebody popping up on that, on their... Like a, maybe I'm mixing it up. Maybe I'm act, mixing up the, actor or character. Maybe I'm mixing uh, an actor. Hmm. Trying to see, was there a rumor of, of Timok? I'm sorry, appearing who? Timok from the Last Dragon. I'm not sure. Oh, man. oh, never mind. I think that was a uh, WMAC Masters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what that was. That was, that's what that was. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, Conquest, man. Really hate they didn't get past season two, you know, to see what what could have been and you know how far they could have expanded, you know. But hopefully, we get another Mortal Kombat series because I think it's yeah. it's one of those ones. It can have the film going and it can have the series, and they can either be their own different things or if you're smart, you cross them. And, you know, you, you treat the series in a smaller version and then uh, and eventually maybe one or two people might pop up in the series from the films as a, in a finale, you know, yeah. but yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Make it about Stryker. Let Stryker have a series <laughs> investigating all these murders around town and bodies being dismembered and different stuff like that. Yeah, man. Just just. Get your striker some love. <laughs> he, he needs some love. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Um. Did you at all try to audition for MK Conquest back in the late '90s, or 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 did you have an injury or something? Uh. Oof. Wow. <laughs> okay. This is crazy. I did have an injury. Uh. There was. I believe there wasn't an audition for Mortal Kombat Conquest at a tournament called Battle of Atlanta. Ah. And yeah, because uh, the coordinator, uh, John Medlin, yes. uh, who, was a stunt, who was a stunt coordinator, he was recruiting from the tournament circuit, you know, because the tournament circuit had a lot of great talent and uh, people to double certain characters, play ninjas, play stunt people. So. It was just uh, it was just the right place to find the find talent, and uh, yeah, they uh, I think they did have a, an audition, or he was going around scouting and looking and seeing who was winning or who was on top, and most of the time it was people who were always getting first place that you know uh, were being chosen. You know, I get it, I get it. Yeah, you yeah. know, but yeah, the. Yeah, it was it was exciting. Yeah, I think I had a torn ACL at the time, so I couldn't even audition for it. Oh. But I went to I, I still went to support some friends who were simply competing in the tournament. But it just happened to be the same weekend <clears throat> that I believe um, scouting for Mortal Kombat Conquest was happening. Yeah, so wow. I, interesting times. Yeah. So was there any um, sort of opportunities like like was there a character that you really wanted to play let's say uh, in the show oh, oh no 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 character just um 
because you know there was always <clears throat> the random thugs there was always the random oh, okay. ninjas or yeah or different things you know and honestly that was better to play that because if you played that nine times out of ten your face was covered so you could come back uh, the next week yeah the next week and the next week you know, but once your face was seen and people knew it was you, mm-hmm. that was it. We can't use you for the rest of the season. Very good point. You got featured, got your nice fight scene, but that's it for you. You know, so I was going at it in a different route. Like, yeah, I want to be one of the guys getting their butt kicks week to week, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> you can be around the show longer. You can learn more and you can bond with the cast and pick up all the, the cool trades of the industry. So that's where I was approaching it from, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So here's uh, something a little off topic, but um, another note, is it true? I, I heard something that you were slated to have your own fight scene with the legendary Jet Lee on uh, Cradle to the Grave. Is that? Oh, wow. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What, what happened was I believe I had an audition and um, I was fortunate enough. There was an audition that I kind of crashed <laughs> because oh. I missed the I missed the other um, open audition. This was like an invitation only audition. And the way it works with stunts with us sometimes is you get your headshot, your resume, and you go shake the coordinator's hand. You hopefully get a minute or two that of he or that person's time, and they get a sense of your personality. You might be able to talk about your skills, who you know, who you train with. Uh, maybe there's a recommendation on there from certain somebody that you worked for that that coordinator knows. Okay, cool. So in this case, um, every martial artist thinks they stand a chance for these films. And of course you should. You got to believe in yourself. Um, so I went there and I went to drop my headshot off because I said, hey, look, I don't have um, an audition. So let me go to the place where the auditions was and simply drop my headshot off. That's it. Yeah. And the timing that I was there, I believe I saw a buddy of mine named, um, I think, Tim. And he was helping gather certain things. And he was like, hey, Lord, no, it's okay that you're here, but you know, this is a private audition. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm just here to drop my headshot off. And as I was leaving... Corey Yuan walked oh. out with D with if I'm correct, Didi, who was Jet Li's stunt double at the time. Corey remembered me from the one, because I worked worked on the one as well. And um I think at the time I'm not sure when or how, but uh Corey saw me doing some martial arts, but I was kicking, warming up, or doing something. And, you know, I guess it was kind of unique for my height and size, I guess, to carry muscle to do these kicks and flips and moves or different things of that nature. So um, so when I, I saw him, he remembered me and he was like, hey, audition. And I was like, oh, no partner. Didi, Didi be a partner. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. So I literally had the pleasure of being choreographed by Corey at the time. And he was like, hey, four flip, sweep, do this. And uh, he said, okay, do some moves. So I think I was doing a double leg 540 and some type of sweep to a front flip. And the DD would sweep me. I would go to my back and et cetera. So I did it like two or three times. And um, 
gave me the thumbs up. I left. And a buddy of mine, uh, Jay Lynch, was um, DMX stunt double. Rest in peace, DMX. Wow. Oof. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, he told me some good news that, hey, yo, they're talking about you right now, man, about a one-on-one fight scene with Jet Li. You know, because I was still in the parking lot. Uh, just excited and blown away, you know, and I saw him come out. So I met the coordinator. Um, we talked about, he just wanted to meet me in person. And then I didn't hear anything after that, you know, about it. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Funny thing was, uh, Corey wondered where I was or what happened, you know, but that's politics. Sometimes things happen and, yeah. you know, uh, you know, you get replaced by people or, you know, someone, you know, may think you're very talented and it's crazy because I'm in that position now where Sometimes I have to make a decision on who I'm going to hire. And sometimes the experience might be talent. Like somebody else <clears throat> might be raw and really talented. But you got to think under pressure, could they handle this right now? Let's say Tom gets cut short. Let's say I have to adjust the fights. Uh, let's say... The actor overcompensates and goes two feet left when he should have went two feet right. Mm. Somebody with experience might be able to compensate for that and protect the actor and still make the fight scene come out great. Somebody raw with great talents might go, oh, no, he went here. He should have went here. And he didn't know how to compensate. He didn't know how to uh, make up for some slight errors and adjustments that have to happen in fight scenes. So the guy that might be able to do these amazing tricks you've seen on YouTube that people are going, oh, man, he should be an action star. He should be the next this, next that. But he's good at taking care of himself. He's not good at dancing with other people. And mm. fight scenes are a dance. Yep. So if I'm going to be trusted for you to fight, uh, let's say, a Scott Atkins, a Michael Jai White, a Keanu Reeves or, you know, someone else. I got to think about who's going to protect the actors first and sometimes their talent second, because there's many, many talented people all over YouTube that can do these amazing things that you just want to say, put them in Mortal Kombat, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden he doesn't have control of those techniques, doesn't know how to sell it for camera, doesn't know how to act, doesn't know how to sell the fight scene itself too, but he knows how to look good when it's his turn. Mm. And it's usually a back and forth thing. And we've seen that happen with a lot of people. They're good at giving, but they're not good at taking. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, now lately it would seem you've been doing a, a lot of second unit directing and, and such. Yeah. Um, according to the IMDb, you've even been credited for doing such on the upcoming TV show, The Continental, uh, based on the John Wick franchise. Is there anything mm -hmm. whatsoever that you can tell us about the show and uh, how did it feel to be offered this unique opportunity for such a beloved franchise? Uh, that was a crazy call to get from my boss, uh, Chad Stahowski, on that one. Um, very busy guy, you know, always uh, into creating or, you know, taking meetings for uh, his, his worlds that he's building. Because if you look at his IMDb, 
I think he's attached to like 15 projects, you know, <laughs> so I'm not sure which one's going to go next, which one's going to go first. Now that John Wick's four is out and successful. But getting that call, it was very quick. You know, hey, you want to do Continental? Cool. Great. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Literally. I am not exaggerating. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, but I, you know, long story short, it's basically, I guess, through consistency and time of uh, projects I've been doing and, you know, that he's either seen or know that, you know, when I'm attached to something, I put my heart into it. I do my best to try to make sure that audiences are going to see something they enjoy. Of yep. course, it's all teamwork. But if you're the head of the team and people trust you with the vision of this IP and say you're responsible for creating the action in this world, each of these characters is a representative of your creativity. You can have a fight coordinator. You can have a fight choreographer with you because I won't have time to be on the floor choreographing every move. I won't have time to be there dealing with every piece of uh, fight training. Certain people, that that's their specific job. Yeah. My job is to take all those elements and bring it together and set the tone and the vision and make sure what's on the script, we pull that off and make it way better than what was written. Because, you know, there's certain fight scenes in there that they'll go, oh, he runs across and does this and does this. I'm like, eh, that's cool, but we're going to do this. That's our <laughs> job. So yeah. when the writer and director see it, they go, holy shit, I didn't know you guys were going to do this. Man, this is crazy. This is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's what we call it action design. We have to design action that's technically not on the page. Writer's job is to tell the story. Our job is to deliver action beyond what is written. Um, I'm sure, like, for Mortal Kombat or something, Someone will say, oh, he throws a fire thing and the guy gets burned and then he does this and that. It's our job to add the 10, 12 moves before the fire blast. It's our job to add something that's not there before the villain escapes or teleports back to the nether realm. We stitch in between that time. So for the Continental, you know... Um, these characters, some are new that you won't know Sweet. because this is the past. We're dealing with the, the 70s and Winston uh, being young and um, basically being introduced to the world of the Continental himself as well. So I don't want to give away the plot yeah. or, you know, Peacock will come and shut me down really fast. <laughs> but I, I will say if you're a fan of the John Wick world, you will be entertained. Um, there's some pretty good action here and there. Um, and, but I do like the, this idea that they're doing a three-night movie event because, you know, it, we basically shot three movies. And um, it's it's different than a miniseries or anything like that because each episode, I believe, is going to be anywhere between 95 to 110 minutes. You know, so it's literally going to feel like you watch three films, Whoa. you know, which I think is refreshing. You know, because, you know, in this day and age of binging stuff, six episodes, ten episodes, the idea that in three weeks you will have watched a whole season of something or three movies, I think is refreshing. You know, so at least the audience wants it more. But, yeah, I really can't give up too much on that one. No, no. Um, but I'm, I'm excited. And uh, 
that was an amazing opportunity. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Albert Hughes is uh, an awesome director, awesome visionary. Uh, Kirk Ward, who was the writer and showrunner, you know, there was a great, they're a great tag team. And uh, yeah, it's going to be good. So oh, man, I'm unbelievably stoked. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be great. Uh, and before we head to the final segment of the show, you've made a public uh, rather recently that you wrapped up uh, your work on, uh, I believe it's called King Shaka. <laughs> yeah, which you described as a life-changing experience for you. Uh, is this something you could expand on to audiences? Um, well, I would say life-changing in the sense of I was living in Toronto when I started the job. I oh, what the hell? Live. That's four hours away. I, I, well, I, I now live in South Africa. Woo! <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, made the move, made the move, man. Just, just love it here. It's, uh, the people are great. Uh, I mean, it's it's like paradise where I am, and um, the culture is so rich. I'm learning so much. Wow. Um, but concerning the job itself, um, yeah, it was definitely a life changing experience because you can read books, you can hear about the legacy or the legend. Of Shaka, and then um, learning what he went through, and learning what it took for him to fulfill his destiny and the challenges along the way. Man, it was just things that you you just like. Wow, this world it just deserves to be seen, you know. So I truly hope it finds the home. It it it's the proper channel that's going to push it in front of as many eyes as possible because it deserves that. I mean, like. If you enjoy Game Game of Thrones, if you enjoy uh, the Rings of Power and stuff like that, you know, or House of Dragons, I do believe that this world has a voice and a story to tell that people will enjoy, and it's rich. It's got drama, it's got politics, it's got action. Um, the visuals and the scope of seeing Africa on this grand scale. Was just amazing. There was times I walked those sets and I just couldn't believe it. Felt like I was transported back into the 1700s. Unreal. Seeing seeing how people lived and what they did and how creative they was, you know, either with the politics, the cooking, the the traveling they had to do, the way they built things back then, the way they functioned. You know, everybody did their research. Everybody stepped up with their A game, and uh, we had an amazing cast. So I, I truly, truly hope uh, late this year or next year sometime, you know, we, we find this show on uh, a major network and uh, we can have, maybe have another conversation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, that yeah. sounds beautiful. Um, another thing to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, I really wish I could expand upon it more, but between <laughs> that and the continental and this, I've, I've been very blessed, you know, for yeah. the last uh, two years to have two projects, two major projects like this back to back. Yeah. Which is crazy because normally um, I try to uh, go for film, but I've been in, in TV world for like <laughs> the last uh, five years when you add Titans to it as well. Yeah. You know, so and Titans was, was an amazing experience too, you know, because big comic book geek, you know, so <laughs> to, for, to have that one fall into my lap, you know, was was crazy and you know at the end of the day i'm always going to say my favorite time on there was i actually choreographed a batman fight so <laughs> and, and that, that's one of those bucket list things you know for yeah. me so yeah well that's great brother 
So we're going to switch things up a little here. We're going to go to the last segment of the show, and it is called Final Round. So what we're going to do in this final round is just ask you some quick questions, try to get to know you a little more. Mm-hmm. So the first question being, what are some of your secret talents? <laughs> secret talents. Wow, secret talent. Something most people don't know about you. Yeah. I well, I don't know if you're going to call it a secret talent, but I think I have OCD for details. Ah. Like I can read something and remember it, or I can walk into a room and look at where a pen was, or look at where uh, a direction a uh, uh, scissors were placed. <laughs> and if it moved, I can tell you how far it moved or that there's something missing, you know? So, yeah, because I guess maybe that comes from uh, fight choreography. Yeah. And when Scripty, and Scripty says, oh, well, he was laying like this in his elbow. I know he wasn't. His <laughs> arm was stretched out. His arm was stretched out here. His head was turned to his right and his knee was clocked in this way. Okay. It just, it's just a, a detail. I don't know if you want to call it a talent, but yeah. Oh, that's pretty great. Um, if you were granted a superpower for one day, what would you choose and why? A superpower for one day. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always there's the kiddie version, then there's the adult version. <laughs> um, it, it, interesting part about that, the kiddie version would be you want all of Superman's powers, but with Batman's fighting skill. Because I've always, that's just me. You know, yeah, Superman can fight, but imagine having Superman's powers and be able to fight like Batman, too. Amen. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But then the adult version is, you know, I wish I had the power to bring uh, peace to this earth and have people get along and uh, less wars and, you know, um, do something about, you know, all the different things in society that are just going wrong these days and not to get into politics or anything like that but yeah yeah, just wish i had the power to help people bring more love and joy in their life and uh yeah and i think that'll solve a lot of things right there it'll be it'll be be a trickle down effect well said well said my friend um what is your favorite food favorite food i'm from new orleans man Uh, (laughs) one of my favorite one of my favorite foods is gumbo you know, it's it's a it's an interesting dish. It's like a soup, you know, that's uh, made with love. You know, it has a, a lot of different meats and you know seafood in it, and um, served over rice. You have it with crackers, saltine crackers, and it's just something I, I grew up on as a kid. My grandmother cooked it a lot. God bless her. She's still alive and yeah. still cooks, and it's a hard dish to find. But when it's done right, you never forget it. Never forget it. Yeah. Uh, what type of music do you enjoy? Music? I'm everywhere right now. You know, being that I'm in Africa, I'm kind of listening to their local music and I'm trying to learn different things about the culture and, and try not to just hear beats and try to understand what they're saying. So, yeah. you know, so I'm trying to get these programs that interpret the Zulu language into English and <laughs> so I can under, I can enjoy these songs. But... I'm getting older, man. I'm moving into my jazz phase, my, you know, just relaxing, you know, what they call smooth jazz. So I don't have any favorite artists or any favorite songs. It's more like you put on a a smooth jazz station 
and you just let it play. And you know, you get something with a with a good saxophone and good melodies and nothing that's too loud that just lets you check out from having a rough week or yeah. a busy week. So yeah, that that's where I am these days. Smooth jazz. I like it. I like it. Um, and the last question, a good piece of advice that will always stick with you. Hmm. I remember somebody told me in a sense, I think I either read this or heard this from somebody. People will always, people will forget what you've done for them, but people will never forget how you treated them. So for me, it's always how do you treat people, especially in this industry, you know, where you get power and you get responsibility, you can make somebody's dreams come true. I mean, look, I get it. Some people would love to be on movie sets, would love to have fight scenes, would love to um, fight their favorite actors and stuff as stunt people. And regardless of talent, and it's how you treat people. So that was something that stuck with me, you know, because at some point in time, I was that guy looking for an opportunity wishing for a phone call, a text, a courtesy email, or something to say, hey, sorry you weren't chosen, but better luck next time. Or, hey, great job, but, you know, keep at it. Or, yeah, your turn will come soon enough. So I try to do my best to give people that same type of courtesy and um, advice or acknowledgement, you know, that way they can remember that you were treated with respect and your time was valued. So I figure if you keep that type of character consistently, it'll come back to you, you know. And then when my times came and gone from this place, hopefully people can say they were treated well by me. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I resonate with that so much. It's beautifully said. Um, well, oh, <laughs> this has been such a great time, man. Uh, I got so much respect for you. You're a great guy. Uh, you know, you're such a big Mortal Kombat fan like me. Um yeah, Big definitely time. one of my favorite podcasts, no doubt. Um, so time. before we go today, uh, do you have any social media platforms that people can follow you at? And uh, is there anything else whatsoever that you'd like to promote? Uh, well, at this point in time, I'm up to a few things. Um, I hate to even say that because I can't discuss them. But <laughs> hopefully there'll be some announcements before the end of the year about some things I'm up to. But other than that, look, I do... I'm still old school. I still have a Facebook. I haven't deactivated it. Yep, I'm still a little old school. Um, yeah, and of course, I have an Instagram at Stovall Action Design. Stovall Action Design. So I try to communicate with people here and there, whether it's Titans fans or people who are fans of Alter Carbon or other shows here and there. And, you know, every now and then a little MK question might come up, you know, not. I definitely put it out there that, yeah, I support the movie. I support what they're doing. I'm not involved, but I can't wait to see, you know, what these guys come up with. So, yeah, uh, Stovall Action Design and old school Facebook, Arnell Stovall. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you also have a short video from uh, in 2007 called Steel, right? Where can people, yeah. where can people watch that? <laughs> I thought it's online. I thought it's still on YouTube. YouTube? I don't know if the full sh I don't know if the full short is still there. I know the trailer's there. I know there's a trailer, but I'm not sure if the full short is there. But yeah. That's what happens when stunt guys get bored and it don't work for a few months. They they go create their own heroes and 
and try to act and kick butt and do stuff. But yeah, wow, that was oof. That was good times, you know, early yeah. in my career. But definitely, it's it definitely set the tone for learning what you can do with minimal resources and with good friends who just want to help your vision and do what they can, you know, for some free lunch sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, brother. Well, you have uh, an excellent day. Uh, I'm so excited to get this out there, and I'll be sure to contact it whenever we do. I mean, you have a good one, man. You too. Thank you for everything, and uh, keep keep that MK fan service alive, man. It's a world that's rich. It's a world that deserves all the respect it's getting, and uh, yeah, hopefully those people down under in Australia blow it out the water again, and we have another great MK sequel next year. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. And that's it for today's special. I hope the Mortal Kombat Legacy fans walked away with some new gained knowledge. Make sure to keep track of Larnell's social media accounts to see all the great stuff ahead. This man's got a lot going for his career. It's certainly been an exciting one for me, and I hope it was just as equally for you. Uh, familiar faces and newcomers alike, make sure to join some fun discussions we have in our shared Discord channel. You will see it listed in the show's notes. Kamidugu is well over 50 episodes in now, and what a thrill it has been. If you want us to keep on going, we ask that you show support and keep engaged with us and the community. Until next time, you know how it goes. Have fun, stay safe, and stay flawless.